are listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode is part of the Arts and Letters in the Maghreb and was recorded on July 26, 2019 at the Centre d'études Maghrebina Tunis CEMAT. In this episode, Dr. Mariam Ktaat, CEMAT Assistant Director, interviews Jared Holton, PhD candidate of ethnomusicology at the University of California at Santa Barbara, about his research entitled The Transmission and Effectivity of the Malouf Tradition and Andalusian Music within Tunisia and Libya. transmission and effectivity of the Malouf tradition within Tunisia and Libya. Um, during your time here, you contributed in organizing a Tunisian-Libyan collaborative concert. Can you tell us more about this initiative and how it relates to your substantive analysis of Malouf transmission? Yes, of course. And many thanks to the AIMS organization, Terry Ryan, the U.S. Director, Miriam, nice you. to meet you as well and uh, Larissa Chomiak for a big welcome here in Tunisia uh, from the beginning. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Uh, Yes, I had many uh, monuments of my year, one of them being this uh, collaborative concert we call Malouf Slam uh, in the end. So this was an idea that came from my research. Uh, I I have spent many years in Libya uh, since 2008, almost five years there. I was teaching in international schools, uh, music, and performing with a lot of Libyan musicians, and uh, when it came time, when I decided to enter a doctorate program and to do research on the Malouf tradition, uh, many of my collaborators there in Libya wanted to help me and be a part of my research, but I was unable to go there this year. So I asked them where to go, and they said, come to Sfax. So this began my thinking about trying to uh, consider Malouf, the transmission of Malouf and the circulation of Malouf across southern Tunisia and western Libya. So my idea for this concert came out of that. Uh, I wanted to try to grab an ethnographic uh, snapshot of what people remember, what musicians remember about the Malouf tradition, the shared tradition, the Turat, uh, from Tunisia and also Libya. And the the histories of Turat in these two countries took very different roads. And so I wanted to see uh, how these histories shaped the Turat and how the transmission of these histories have shaped the minds and the ears of listeners in these countries and how much they know about each other. So it was a concert that I wanted to plan between Sfax and Trablus, Sfax and Tripoli. So we got musicians from Sfax and we brought over three Libyan musicians, uh, uh, Sheikh Behlul Abu Arkoub, a well-known Malouf musician, not only in Libya but in all of North Africa. Uh, and we wanted to present a concert uh, after three rehearsals, so it was a very intense week, uh, but we gave them the project of putting a shared tradition together and doing it in a way that would be collaborative, experimental, uh, and, and interesting. It would highlight some of this shared history. So this was supported by the Goethe Institute here in Tunis, the German Embassy in Tunis. Uh, I also need to mention the One Two Show Association, a young association in Sfax that was a part of our our project. The University of Sfax uh, helped us uh, a lot 
in, uh, for the concert in Sfax, and also Lyric, L-E-R-I-C, this is the Laboratoire d'études et de recherche interdisciplinaire et comparé in Sfax. So we had an academic side, a research side to this uh, concert. So the July 12th and 13th, we did a concert first in Sfax, in front of the municipality, the Belladilla downtown, and then the second night we did a concert in Tunis, behind the Goethe Institute, also outside. We, we wanted also to think about Malouf before it was written down and documented, you know, when it was flowing a little freer uh, between people and people were taking melodies and matching them to new texts and they were taking old texts and matching them to new melodies and vice versa. There was a lot of changing and exchange going on. So we wanted to think about this time and have free concerts for the public outside of traditional theaters, uh, en plein air, they say. and. Uh, and, and also talk to the people. So I did have a couple of researchers, student researchers from the university that helped me in Sfax, uh, asking questions in the audience with those who agreed on what they knew about the Malouf in Libya during the concert and what they thought about the idea and the concert. So I'm, I'm still analyzing that, but we tried to have many facets to this to, to catch uh, a picture of, of what people remember and what they think about this sh shared tradition. So, um, this was two weeks ago. I'm still thinking a lot about this. But uh, an event like this, I think, can tell us a lot uh, musically. So for example, when sounds travel, and we tried to take a picture of this, uh, from this concert, we can see that there were a lot of shared songs they knew, but there were slight differences. So for example, the text remained, but the melody changed slightly. Okay, so a good example of this is Elifia Sultani. Okay, so the Tunisian version, we, we sang this at the end of the concert, we ended the concert with this. The Tunisian version would go Elifia Sultani wal hijrani kweni Elif. Tunisian version. The Libyan version would go Elifia Sultani wal hijrani kweni so it's very small, right? So uh, small rhythmic changes at the beginning and small melodic changes for just this one line, okay? So it's, it's not really substantial, but it shows that when, when music travels like this and it, 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 around a central text, there can be a lot of invention and innovation. Uh, but there are also big differences, I suspect, that will come out of this, um, this concert. One example that I'm looking at now is a song that uh, Behlul chose. So I, I had the musicians choose the songs that they would do for this program. And he chose Talal Badru Alayna. So it's a very well-known song. And he chose uh, a melody in Sika, which is very well-known. So this is a well-known melody, okay? But this is not Malouf. It's not Malouf in Tunisia. It's really not Malouf anywhere, okay? But in a conversation with him afterwards, uh, he explained to me that this is a particular case, this song in Libya, and it is included in Malouf. It's not in Sika. It's, the melody is a different melody, and it's included in Taba'a, uh, Taba'a Mezmoum. We can talk about this later. Taba'a Mezmoum. So the melody is different, and the musical mode is different, but he chose the melody in Sika that everybody knew, so he knew it was a public concert. He was trying to do something that could be a, a source of sharing the song together and, and something that the Tunisian musicians would also know. But uh, I do think this shows a perspective 
from how Maluf history took a course in Libya that's different in Tunisia, in that in Libya there are more genres of music included in Maluf than were included here in Tunisia. And all of this has to do with the, the structures, the state structures, the political structures, the power structures that organized this and wrote it down early on in Tunisia. And, and, and that didn't happen in Libya for a long time afterwards. So, uh, I'm, I, like I said, I'm, I'm still knee-deep in all of this and thinking about it. But I do think uh, this concert can give us some knowledge about the shared tradition and the course it's taken up till now. It's a small picture and these are particular musicians. It, it's not a comprehensive picture, but it's, a, like I said, a snapshot, a screenshot of uh, perhaps this very important history of Malouf circulating uh, here in this area. And, and we can, of course, think about all of the migration associated with Andalusian music uh, and the history of Andalusian music. But this is a very sort of micro moment where I'm trying to draw out some of these perspectives. Sounds great. Um, your main research topic revolves around the tubur of Tunisian music. Can you elaborate more on that? Um, more specifically, how does it tie to your overall thinking on transmission of sounds? Hmm. So the tubua uh, is the musical structure, the theoretical structure here in Tunisia. And for Andalusian music, this genre of Andalusian music in North Africa. So they also have tubua in Libya. Uh, but I, so one of, another monument of my year was entering the Mahad al-Ali al-Musiqa okay, the, the High Institute of Music there in Sfax as a first year student. And it was really challenging. It took me more than two months. Uh, and you were involved in the process. So you understand it was a very challenging time to try to get the entrance papers. Uh, I wanted to study the tubua like a Tunisian music student would study it with the teachers there. And so I eventually, thanks to Madiha uh, Shura, Doha bin Said, and many others, uh, you know, I was able to enter, finally get my papers, and just sit in the class with the first year students. And I also took some classes in the second year uh, uh, just to sample uh, different, uh, different classes and different methodologies. So my main focus there at the, uh, the School of Music at the, uh, tied to the university was the tubua. I also sat in maqamat classes. I also studied oud with Hassan uh, Azayez. I studied nai with Faisal Qassis. Uh, and I should mention my tubua teachers, uh, Fatma Lajmi, Wajdi Alila, my maqamat teacher, uh, Kamel Gharbi. These are special people to me. So they really welcomed me in their class. And I sat with the students and I memorized songs like they did and I made mistakes like they did and I tried to find uh, you know, the right melodies like they did. So it was a very good experience and I learned actually a new methodology of teaching Arabic music that I hope to carry back with me uh, in my future teaching. So the tabua, back to your question, uh, as I studied here in the university, are 13 in number. They are musical modes or scales, although they function differently than scales. They have a history to them. Uh, they are composed of parts we call akhat or jints, you know, groupings of maybe three or four, sometimes five notes that have a character to them. They, they have a musical melodic shape and a certain sound that helps us identify them. And when you put these groupings together, it forms a taba. Okay, so there are thirteen of them, and. Uh, the project of, of, 
of looking at the Malouf between Libya and Tunisia is such a grand project it's, uh, that I decided to scale down to, for my dissertation, specifically looking at the Tabua and the social significance of the Tabua, because Malouf comes out of this. One of the marks of Malouf is that it comes out of the Tabua. So I thought this is a good place to start for now. So I studied these and I was very surprised at the different perspectives that people would give me on how the tubua fit together with the maqamat, which is the main musical modes of the Eastern Mediterranean and perhaps more well known in, in this area and in the world. Uh, also how the tubua fits in with Turkish music. So I, I found myself swimming and uh, lots of history and lots of musical traditions and influence that have been here in Tunisia. And so what has come out of this, what has been structured out of this, is what we call the tubua, what they call the tubua. So what was interesting to me uh, from the beginning was how people identified themselves through the tabua, how they make themselves, their musical world, themselves, their society, through the tabua, when there is a wash of sounds and musical worlds here in the Mediterranean. So uh, I'm studying how the dialect, they choose different words. So for example, Taba'al uh, Isba'in is a Taba'a here. It is very, very similar to Hijaz. It's a Maqam Hijaz. Uh, for example, let me sing you something. It's the best way to, uh, to share an example of the Taba'a. So here's a, here is a song, Zalitni bi Aishqa in Tabal Espain. Zalidni So right here, this is a jins on A, the note A, La, Saini. And it's the same grouping of notes that we have on the lower note D, okay, or Re, Duque. And in the East, they would call this Shahnaz. Okay, but here we don't use Shahnaz. We say Inqilab uh, al-Isba'in. It's like we take Hijaz Isba'in here on Re and we move it to where it's on La, on A. So it's, uh, it's very, very close if you listen to this to Shahnaz, but it's marcated in a different way here. So this is really interesting to me, how words, how, how Tunisians use words and language and dialect to fashion and shape a musical world for themselves. Uh, I mean, but there are a lot of differences too. For example, um, Taba'a Hassin is a well-known uh, Taba'a here. And oftentimes when, when I hear people teach or talk about Hassin, they talk about it being like Bayeti, and Bayeti is a maqam, okay, really well-known maqam. But it's very, very different than Bayeti. It's, it's known for this half-flat, okay, and the Bayeti half-flat is not really the half-flat in Hassin, okay? So, for example, uh, mm, this is a good one. Badat <laughs> biqadin Okay, 
هز المرحى فيا لا 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 مي او يا لا يا لا 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 هز المرحى فيا لا لا يا لا 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 مي او يا سيدي so this uh, this E half flat here is very high and they would say it's close to an E natural. It's one comma short. It's technical language, but a one comma short E half flat is actually more akin to a Turkish E half flat. So this is the connection, not really bayati in the maqam. So what I'm, what I'm sharing with you is, are some of the, the ways I'm trying to explore how people describe their musical world here in Tunisia with the tabua and how they structure it to make a place for themselves in this Mediterranean world of sound. And it's creative, it's exciting, it's very innovative. It has to do with language, it has to do with uh, different structures of the tuba and how they relate to Turkish music, how they relate to the maqamat, the Eastern Mediterranean, how they think about who they are as Andalusians and this really rich history. So this is, uh, this is going to be the main subject of, of my dissertation. Um, wow, thank you, Jared. This is really beautiful. Um, I want to ask about the next steps in analyzing your research. Mm. Um, how's that going? Yeah. <laughs> yes, now I, I'm, I have one more month here and then, and then I need to go back to the lab, so to speak, and I need to really think about the, the, the direction I'm moving this. Um, but what I'm dealing with here is sonic mediation, how people use sounds to mediate their worlds. And in this case, it is identity, okay? So sonic mediation with identity. And I'm trying to think about this in a, in a really local, really Tunisian way. So I'm, I'm thinking about how the word taba, tabua, might help us think about the way Tunisians uh, make their musical worlds with the tabua. So if I go to the post office here in Tunisia, you know, I buy a tabia. Oh, at the web, so a stamp, right? I need a stamp. It's the same word. Even if you don't speak Arabic, you can hear you can hear that this is all similar. You know, and it's, it's about uh, when we imprint something or we stamp something, right? So I'm, I want to take this idea of sonic stamping and I want to think about that in a really local Tunisian way and how Tunisians are stamping their sound worlds to make a place for them to, to make a character for themselves to, to deal with their history. This does work for them, you know, it, it, it clarifies history, it, it makes a very complex and rich tradition clear for people today and how they live and how they sing and how they think of themselves. So this is the direction I'm trying to go with this. And uh, the person I have found, the person in the lineage actually I found most helpful is Gabriel Tard. So a contemporary of Durkheim, who is having somewhat of a resurgence in the academy today. Uh, he is a, th a French theorist in early sociology who actually thought that uh, the whole was not the sum of the parts. It was the opposite. It was, it was that the, the individual herself, himself, the individual was, was not full of binaries, was a mix uh, and was, a, was full of micro practices and different ways of association. So as we might expect, like Bruno Latour has really taken uh, Tard and he has thought about the micro practices and the associations of objects and an ecology 
for example, around you, and how people make these small changes to navigate and to negotiate who they are in a particular social, we can say, setting. Um, Deleuze and Guattari is another are other theorists who have taken Tard and and talked about this this uh, constant fragmentation of life. You know, this constant fragmentation that is behind and between all these stratifications of society, how society and nations how it, it shapes us as humans. But underneath it all is this constant breaking and fragmentation that perhaps gives us uh, a, a good sense of how we actually live. Uh, and other people I'm reading, like Tony Sampson, um, Greg Urban is important for me, Jane Goodman, her musical work with the Berber Algerians is, is important. So I, I like this perspective because, you know, all of these examples I showed you now are, are very small, micro-tonal examples, of, but, but they're important um, because I think that's how we make up our life, actually, are these small decisions, different ways of thinking about agency, um, perhaps. Uh, definitely Foucault is a part of this lineage, these uh, micro practices of power here uh, and connection. So I'm thinking about these theorists and I'm thinking about this direction of research and I would like to look at sonic mediation in this type of social world, social theory, if that makes sense right now. <laughs> that's where I am. <laughs> My last question is about your methodology. Um, what are the main sources you are using and according to you, which were the most helpful in developing you know, your analysis? Yeah, that's a good question because uh, this year, as, as many people experience, you do a year of research, fieldwork, and you really get into methodology. You understand that the, the data, the things you're collecting, really come from somewhere and so you think about what type of method you're using. I thought a lot about this and and at one point early in the winter I had to make a decision. I felt like my project was going all historical, studying the Tobua, written sources, Andalusian music and it was all built on written histories and I, that's fine with me. I don't mind that, but I really wanted the ethnography too, because I'm here in Tunisia, you know, and Ames has supported me for a year, and it's wonderful, I can be here, and I brought my family even, so um, I wanted to try to capture what's happening now, how people are thinking about this right now. So I, I've done a lot of historical work, um, but doing the concert series, being a student at the uh, music school, um, building a network with professionals, musicians, instrument makers uh, in Kairouan and Sfax, uh, research organizations, so all, of, all of these things I've done this year, I've been to try to bring the ethnographic perspective into my work and to make that an important part. So I think my work is a blend between a very historical analysis uh, with deep reading in the sources and treatises and Arabic and uh, Arabic treatises and and what the music that's written down and also uh, a blend of what people are saying now about the tabua, how they're singing it, how they're playing it, how they're talking about it right now. And so I would like my work to actually bring both of these methodologies together. I think uh, I, I have to do a good job on the history because of where I am. There is a lot of history here in Tunisia and there's a lot of documentation about it. 
Um, the time I spent in Libya was different. It, there wasn't a whole lot of documentation. It was much more of an oral experience, much more of an ethnographic experience. So where I am, it makes sense that I am considering the history and, and having that a part of my work. But as an ethnomusicologist, we do love ethnography. We privilege that from the anthropological sciences. So I, I like that as well and that perspective. So I, I, I will be some sort of hybrid out there. Yeah, so those are my two methodologies I'm trying to work with right now. Thank you for listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themaghrebpodcast.com, as well as on iTunes and Podbean. For more information on our podcasts, like our Facebook page, Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, subscribe to the CEMAT newsletter at www.cematmaghreb.org or visit the webpage of the American Institute for Maghreb Studies. See you soon for a new episode. Thank you.